you so much for the song. It's what a blessing. What a blessing. As long as I have breath, I'll praise you, Lord. At New Folks today, I'm Pastor Gary Ledbetter. I'm supposed to be semi-retired, whatever that that means. I never have figured it out. What we're supposed to do is semi-retired. But we are uh, delighted to be here at Crossroads helping out in the transition time. Uh, Pastor Diedrich and his family arrived safely in Missouri. And uh, they uh, only had, they had three vehicles and Judson's starter went out on his truck. But other than that, everything else worked out fine. And so uh, we're, we're uh, happy that they are safely in Missouri and the place that God has them at this particular point in time in their life. And we're delighted to be here. Uh, boy, that singing today, it was just a blessing. And hearing those children sing, Jesus loves me. Wasn't that a blessing? That encouraged my heart. We're going to actually pray with those children. The parents and the children uh, are going to come at the end of the service t- today. And we're going to have prayer for them. Because some of them are starting school or have just started school. And uh, we're going to be praying for them as they begin uh, this new school year. We're looking today at the book of Philippians again. We're going to be preaching through this good book over the next several weeks. And we're looking at the book of Philippians, the book about joy, the theme of rejoicing, or the theme of joy is what the book of Philippians is about. Paul is writing to a church about 10 years after the church has started. Remember Acts chapter 16, where Lydia was saved on a riverbank, and then the Philippian jailer. Uh, saved and his family uh, saved in Acts chapter 16 there in Philippi and so that's the start of the church and now about 10 years later he's writing back there is some uh, problems in the church every church has some problems that need to be addressed Uh, it was still a strong church at this time but there was some fighting going on between two ladies we find in Acts chapter 4 and verse 2 Uh, Today we're looking at chapter 1 again. We're still in chapter 1. And we're looking at the importance of preaching Christ as the very foundation, the very foundation of our church, of of our lives should be that we preach Christ even in the midst of difficulties. We preach Christ. Look with me beginning in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. And many of the brethren the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therefore do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true from cover to cover. Thank you that it's our rule book for life. As we heard in our men's Sunday school class, it is our guidebook. 
And I pray that, Lord, you would take the word of God today and by the spirit of God as our teacher, that you would draw us closer to the Son of God. Make us more like him. And I pray that, Lord, he would be the very center of our life, the very center of our church, that we would preach him even in the midst of tough times. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, trained as a civil engineer. I went to Clemson. That could be a good thing or a bad thing for some of you. But I went to Clemson and uh, got saved there 52 years ago in my dorm room. But uh, 50 years ago, I graduated from Clemson in civil engineering. And I went to work for the South Carolina Department of Transportation in a town called Orangeburg. That's down south of Columbia. And uh, I was working on I-95. For some of you younger folks, there was a time when we didn't have I-95. We were building I-95. We opened that section from Santee, connecting it into I-26. We opened that in 1975. When I got there, the bridges were already put in. Uh, it, it had, that was, I'd already just graduated from, from college, and, and uh, the bridges were already in. We drove around little yellow trucks, and we got there early in the morning before the sun came up. We, uh, I was uh, a, an inspector uh, on uh, some of the projects that we had, and then later on, uh, they had these big CMI grading machines and uh, just tremendous pieces of equipment. And uh, after the initial grading, we put down a soil cement mixture for a base. And uh, that was a test. It, was, it had, not, had been, not been done anywhere else in South Carolina. We were testing that soil cement base. And now, Brother Jesse works with uh, concrete work, and I, he would probably like for you to know that when we hear people say this, I'm walking on that cement, or you're pouring cement. You don't pour cement. You don't walk on cement. You walk on concrete. You walk on concrete. And so... Uh, but there was cement and uh, soil mixed together, and I was the plant engineer over that plant where they were mixing that together and putting it in trucks and dumping it, and then they would grade it out and, and, and uh, tamp it. And then later we were going to put 12 inches of concrete, not cement, 12 inches of concrete on top of that for the lanes to drive on. And uh, as, I, as I worked on that, we realized that what they were doing is trying to build a strong foundation, a strong foundation. Um, we, when I was in college, I took a, a class in concrete design. And uh, our particular group, we had chosen that we were going to use cow bones as aggregate for the inside the concrete. It didn't work too good. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be something that we would probably want to build our house upon or build a road upon. It wasn't a strong foundation. Those of you that when you bought your house, uh, you had an inspection done usually, and you went around and you looked for cracks in the, in the, in the, maybe in the brick or in the foundation or sagging floors or, or some crack in the sheetrock that showed that the foundation was sinking. I've had that in some homes that I've, I've had as well. Did you know that preaching Christ is the very foundation of what this church ought to be all about? It's what our life ought to be all about. Look with me over at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Speaking of 
standing before the judgment seat of Christ one day, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, here the Apostle Paul addressing this church at Corinth. He says, beginning in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 7, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. We preached about that last Sunday night about being members one of another. We are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry or farm. You're God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, he says, I have laid the foundation. And another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid. And he says, here's the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. There's the foundation, the very foundation of our life, the foundation of our home and family, the very foundation of the church. The foundation is Jesus Christ. In looking at just the first chapter of the book of Philippians, 18 times Christ is referred to in just one chapter. The book is about joy, about rejoicing. But Jesus Christ is the very center of it 18 times. The word gospel is used six times in just that first chapter. And you and I need to be like-minded. We need to be united in the fact that Jesus Christ, the very center, he's the one we preach by our life and by our lips, even in the midst of trouble. He's the head of the church. He's the preeminent one. He's the one that needs first place. You and I need to make him and keep having him as the foundation of the church. We preach Jesus Christ. And by the way, the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. So we preach him. I applied. One of the places I applied, I want to be an aeronautical engineer, and I applied at Georgia Tech. I was not accepted. I got accepted at NC State. And at Clemson, ended up, because I was from Somerville, South Carolina, near Charleston, I ended up going to Clemson and started off in electrical engineering and then switched to civil engineering. But I loved aeronautical engineering, so I applied at Georgia Tech. I still love the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech. It was the first place that I started witnessing to students in dormitories as a young Christian was at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech fired their football coach. Coach Collins got fired, and... They hired a guy named Brent Key. And they say about this new coach that they have, as a football coach at Georgia Tech, that he is all about Georgia Tech seven days a week. Now, I like Georgia Tech. I went to Clemson, but I like Georgia Tech. But I'm not all about Georgia Tech seven days a week. But did you know that you and I ought to be all about Christ seven days a week? Our life needs to be about him and wrapped up in him. Matter of fact, Paul said in verse 21 of chapter 1, for me to live is what? Christ. For me to live is Christ. I want us to look today in this text of Scripture in Philippians chapter 1 about how that rejoicing 
in our life, which is the theme of the book, should be centered around our life and our lips preaching Christ, even in the midst of trouble. Job said that just as sure as sparks fly up from a fire, man's life is going to be filled with trouble. We're living in some difficult times in our country. I'm 72 years old. Some of the things I've never seen in my life are happening in America. But I'm telling you, we can still live this life here if we live it for Jesus Christ, and he's the center of our life. Paul had said in Philippians chapter 4 that we're to rejoice in the the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, and yet... Here he finds himself, when he's writing this book, he's in prison. He's in prison in Rome. What does it take for you and me to lose our joy? Uh, Do we have a short fuse? What about our own spiritual maturity? Are we growing so that now we're being able to handle things better in the midst of our troubles because we can rejoice and Christ is controlling more of our life, whether there's pain or Delay or things don't happen as quickly as we think they should or disappointment and life is filled with that or there's difficulty. You and I, even in unpleasant circumstances, can rejoice, not in not producing bitterness or dissatisfaction in our life with God's sovereign plan or it's not time to increase our complaining gift or be unthankful It's time to repent. It's time in our lives to realize that Christ and preaching him by our life and lips, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, is what we need to be doing. James tells us that in chapter 1 that God uses trials and difficult times for our good and for his glory. And now as a prisoner in Rome, Paul is writing, and in Romans chapter 1 and verse 10 He makes this statement. He's realizing that even the difficulty of what's going on in his life, that God is still working. He's still in control. And you and I can realize that as well. He says, making request, if by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. He he was going to Rome. He was going to go, he was in jail now in Rome, but he realized that if, if, if God would bring him there, it was going to be by the will of God, even in the midst of that storm. You remember recorded, I love that story of the storm in Acts chapter 27. I love the name. I like to preach on that because I like the name of the storm. Eurachlodon. I just like saying that. Eurachlodon was the name of that storm. And uh, they just, they were out there in that boat and then There was no control over it. Tom Farrell used to, when he preached on that text, used to say the difficulty was we let her drive. It says we let her drive. Whenever you let her drive, you always got difficulty. So it says we let her drive, and Eurachlodon was the storm. In the midst of that, it it was taking him to Rome. Here in chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. What is happening to me even in prison, 
is advancing the gospel. The word furtherance has the idea of progress or an army advancing to a, a better position. He says, this is worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, so that my bonds, the, the, I'm, I'm here in chains in a, in a prison, uh, in, even if in, in a, a house arrest, my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. That's a tremendous text. Look over in chapter 4 of Philippians, just a couple of pages, and look at verse 22. This will make a Presbyterian shout, I like to say often. It says, all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. <laughs> Rodney Griffith, uh, has a singing group called Greater Vision, he wrote a, a song, No Longer Chained. And it talks about how that the Apostle Paul had different soldiers chained to him, and they did it on shifts. You know, they kept it on shift. And so... Here, here's a soldier chained to him. You're talking about a captive audience. They're getting a chance not only to observe his Christian character, but he gets a chance to preach Christ to them. Amen. And then an all, another shift comes in and a guy comes back on. They chain him to the Apostle Paul and he's going to get the same thing. Another shift of preaching Christ and observing the very character of the one who is chained. And in that song, he tells about a guy who goes back home. And he, after a few days of being chained to the Apostle Paul, one day he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he said, I'm no longer chained. I'm no longer chained. Here it is. In, he's praying here and he says in verse, in verse 13, he says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. So what seems like something that is bad, God is using it for good, for the furtherance of the gospel. When he says palace here, it's, a, it's the praetorium. It could be either the place where the emperor would live, or it could be the special forces or the, or the secret service like our White House. It would be the people who guard the emperor of Rome. And so some of those people got saved. We say a lot of times, oh, people in those kind of government jobs, they could never get saved. Did you know that Paul chained to some of those soldiers and they go back on their shift and tell somebody else and all of a sudden somebody else tells somebody else and somebody trusts Jesus Christ as Savior and at the end of the book they're saluting people that are in Caesar's household Somebody in that government job got saved. Amen. Thank the Lord we just preach Christ no matter what the circumstances. That's the very foundation and we rejoice in what God has done. Chained to a Roman soldier being preached to and taught and discipled even in house arrest. You know that Paul in that prison He's eating and he's sleeping and he's writing and he day and night has people to talk to. We talk about Onesimus and how his visit and encouragement was to him. He could have, in a house arrest, he was allowed to have people come in and speak to him and people who ministered to him, even in chains and difficulty. 
ministry resulted in people coming to Christ. Lives, families being changed, preaching Christ. Difficulties can work together for good. You and I have reason to rejoice. Look at chapter 1, one and verse 1 of Philippians. Paul and Timotheus or Timothy, the servants, the word servants is the word bond slave, doulos, the servants of Jesus Christ. You and I are servants of Jesus. Thank the Lord that somebody told somebody that told somebody that told us of the gospel too. And now we have the responsibility of preaching Christ to others. I have reason to rejoice as a bond slave myself of Christ. God can take some difficult circumstances, difficult circumstances in families. I, I don't know the, the I'm pastor now for nearly 40 years. I first started in Houston in 1982 about every family and, and every ministry family. A lot of preachers and, and assistant pastors and missionaries They've got family issues going on to pray about, too. I'm just telling you, we're not exempt. There are difficult times. But did you know that the Lord can take, make beauty from ashes? He can take some very difficult circumstances and turn them around for good. Look at the Apostle Paul and what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Many of you are familiar with that uh, text of Scripture, but... I want to look at it in light of what we're talking about here, the difficulties that he was going through. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. Here's what he says. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice or three times. Whatever it was, that thorn in the flesh, by the way, it was not his wife, uh, this thorn of flesh, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. Oh, that's a, underline that word. I, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches in necessities, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. God is going to take the difficult times and turn them around for good, and he can use it even to advance the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was not ashamed, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And here the gospel is moving forward even while Paul is in prison by people being encouraged to be witnesses themselves, by the people he is witnessing to, the people he is ministering to who come to see him in the house arrest and go away with greater confidence and greater assurance themselves of being able to preach Christ. So God is helping progress to happen even in the midst of obstacles in life. Paul said, a great door, an effectual is open to me, and there are many adversaries. There's always obstacles in the way. My son, who's the assistant pastor at University Baptist Church at Clemson, uh, they've run marathons. I, 
I don't, I, I, I run to the mailbox sometimes and back. I, I've never run, you know, you run 26.2 miles. Uh, I, we went with them. They ran the Marine Corps Marathon, husband and wife running together. We rode Metro. That was my running. And we rode it around to different stops in Washington, D.C., and, and they, they ran it a couple of different times. And one time we got down to the finish line before John came across, and there was a, some, a lady holding up a big poster that said, 26.3 miles would be stupid. 26.2 <laughs> miles? I mean, if I drive that far, I usually spend the night, you know. Go to, so. <laughs> but now they're on a, a hiking kick. They, they like to hike. They're, their latest deal is hiking this, uh, it's called Foothill Trail about 76 miles, and they'll hike a section of it and sleep, and, and then they'll mark that off, and then the next weekend they'll go and hike it to get the whole 76 miles in. Uh, but he tells me, he said, you know, there's a trail marked out, but Daddy, he said, there's a lot of fallen trees across the trail. And I thought, just like our life, it's not going to be a smooth there's going to be difficulties, and, and, but we need to preach Christ with life in our lips as well. We need to give the gospel, and God gives us gospel opportunities. We've been praying for some of you folks that have, had, have been in the hospital lately or of upcoming surgeries that you'll have. God will give you opportunities with medical staff to be able to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you can still preach Christ by life and by lip. Even the hospital, I, there's, there's some, I, I've had opportunities myself. I haven't been in the hospital a lot, but I've been a hospice chaplain. And doing that, I think about John Bunyan, uh, the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. We referred to him last week in the message. While he was in prison, he got chances to go around the courtyard and preach the gospel to people. <laughs> I love it. It, it. Tough times can still produce Gospel furtherance and progress in the gospel, even in tough times. I think about Joseph at the end of the book of, of Genesis. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I think about Esther or Ruth or Job or, or Jonah or Moses or the apostle John or Jeremiah are countless others who had difficult circumstances, but God used it where they could share about Jesus or about uh, the God of heaven with others in the difficult circumstances. And he said here in Philippians chapter 1, he said, these bonds that I'm in. So my bonds in Christ, verse 13 of chapter 1, are manifest in all the palace, all of the praetorium and Caesar's court and in all other places has been used for the furtherance of the gospel. God can use it if by life and by lip we preach Christ. Even the Roman governor's residence now has some Christians in it. Some watch, who watch the patience and the lack of anger and the genuine Christian character and sincerity of the Apostle Paul as he humbled himself as a prisoner I mean, we're talking about real love for God and real love for people. Onesimus, who 
who showed kindness and gentleness. This disaster of being in prison, for some would say, has become a blessing because they're preaching Christ by life and by lips. Also, this preaching Christ in the midst of difficult times, also it says in verse 15, it says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, wrong motives, and some also of goodwill. Here the false teachers had come in and Sadducees and the Pharisees, false teachers, some even from within the church were preaching a false gospel. But here we find that verse 15, Christ was being preached in different places, envy, jealousy, Every one of us in the ministry, I, I, I had a tough situation in a, not this past ministry, but the one before. And uh, as soon as I found out about, I left that church, came to Rock Hill, South Carolina. My wife had died, very similar to Brother Diedrich's situation. My wife had died, and I, I left and came to Rock Hill. I met Linda a year later, and, and just a few days ago we've been married now 10 years both of us lost our spouses but as I came I missionaries would call me on the phone brother Ledbetter heard what happened to you in the church where you were over there when there's some staff issues going on and and, uh, staff struggles you think you're kind of the only one having it until people start to call you and preachers and missionary teams where somebody had to leave the mission field, the problem wasn't working with the people in the land they were in. They had trouble with that mission team they were on and struggled there. And all of a sudden, pe- people realized that there was, there was some difficulty. But I say, difficulties come, but at least Christ is being preached. Because he says here, he says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and of strife. And some also of goodwill. They're the ones that are doing it for the right reason. He said one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely. Supposing to add affliction to my bonds. I mean, he's hoping to make things worse for me in prison and my own testimony in this house arrest. I think that some, some people feel like that contention is their spiritual gift. It is not. It's not the spiritual gift. But he said, but notice verse 17, but the other of love. That's their motivation. The love of Christ constrains them, Paul says. Other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. It means that's, that's what I'm appointed to. I was was appointed to give the gospel. And you and I are appointed to give the gospel. To preach Jesus Christ by life and by lip, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. 1 Thessalonians, over just a couple of pages, chapter 3 and verse 3. When you look at that word set, a very interesting word. For you young preacher boys, it would be a great study to study that word set throughout the scriptures. 
But he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, he says this, that by no means should be moved by their afflictions. For yourselves know that we were, and here's the same word, we are appointed thereunto. In the will of God, God has ordained that Paul would be in prison to minister to people. God has it appointed wherever you are. You're to preach Christ. You're to preach Christ by life and lip, being on appointment, assignment by Almighty God. And you, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what, whether there's contention, where in Corinth they, one said, I'm of Paul, and another said, I'm of Apollos. They were choosing teams. He said, Paul said, I don't like all of that, but he said, at least Christ is being preached. People are still preaching Jesus, some motivated by envy, some motivated by strife, some wishing that they didn't have what they have, or, you know, saying, I wish I had a better ministry. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. They're using a whole lot more fertilizer over there, I just want you to know. Some have envy and wish they were in some other position, some other ministry, some other Sunday school class, some other place. Some said, I just wish we had a nice, calm ministry. I pastored four places. There's no such bird, can I tell you? A nice, calm ministry doesn't, doesn't exist. Or if I had a bigger house or a different car, or if I didn't have that family that I have now, did you know God has set you where he wants you to be? He's the one that provides our needs. We talk about how God is supplying our, our needs even in the midst of whatever semi-retirement is. I tell people God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He may choose to give it to us one hamburger at a time. <laughs> but he's in charge. He's in charge of what, of, of taking care of us. I... Uh, made a visit several years ago to a person and uh, I said we'd love to have you come to the church she says well I'm going to stay in the church I'm in you see my grandfather and my uncle they own the church where I go to now did you know that I don't want a church that grandpa owns I want a church that Jesus is the head of that Jesus is the head and that people see they're being placed where God wants them to be for the furtherance of the gospel. I uh, pastored in Whiteville, North Carolina. That's on the other side of resume safe speed. I tell you, on 74, going on 74 out here, you just keep on going on 74 like you're going to Wilmington. About an hour before you get to Wilmington, there's a town called Whiteville, North Carolina, or Whiteville. Is the way they pronounce it over there. Why? And uh, I was there nine and a half years. Had a wonderful time. Wonderful time. In that little county, there's 53,000 people. I think maybe it's gone down to about 50,000 now. It's, the population is shrinking. There are 355 churches in that county for 55 people. And so a study was made by a company that came 
to see uh, how they could upgrade the downtown area of White Bull. And they began to look at the demographics and all the different things. And a lady came to him and said, said, sir, did you notice that we have about 355 churches for the 50,000 people in that county? Isn't that such a wonderful thing? The guy, not even a Christian, looked at her and said, ma'am, it shows you people can't get along with each other. Had nothing to do with multiplying the fervence of the gospel. It was, I'm going to leave this church and I'm going to that one so I can run that one over there. And so we can run the preacher off and put his name in slate and just write it in with chalk. Some out of contention. Some out of contention and strife. But he said, Christ is preached. Thank God for the ones that are motivated by love. The ones that are doing it for goodwill. But he said, at least Christ is being preached. Here we see also in this in this text, even though some are doing it out of the wrong, for the wrong reasons, and God has appointed Paul to that place, we found out already, there were people that were, were told to rejoice, even in the midst of the difficult times. Rejoice that Christ is preached, he said. Even different motives, but Christ is preached. Notice verse 18 of Philippians chapter 1. He says, at least Christ is preached. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And what was his response? I therefore do rejoice. There's a key word in the book of Philippians. I therefore do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Now, he's not talking about being saved there. He's talking about being delivered. This, is, this, this could work out that somehow, he says, through your prayers, verse 19, and the supply of the Spirit of, of Jesus Christ, somehow I could be delivered. I could be removed from the charges here. I could be released from this prison. Something is going to work out for good, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation, he says. You and I, as we are in the place that God wants us to be, can rejoice in troubled times, even when there's disappointments, even when there's delays, even when there's detours, even when there's distractions, you and I can rejoice. Why? Because Christ is preached by life and by lip. Is Christ being preached in your life? Is he preached by life and by lip in your life? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I love this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, in a day of salvation have I succored or helped thee, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We preach that often. Give no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed or discredited, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God. And notice this, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, 
in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned or sincere, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honoring and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor and yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Here we go. Preaching Christ is the foundation. Our life and by lip telling others of the Savior is the very foundation of our life of our family, and of our home. And when we live that way, no matter what the circumstances, a testimony that others see, others will come to Christ. Others will be drawn to the Savior. In this country, by the way, ease is fleeting. Freedoms are being taken away from us. We still can rejoice. We still have opportunities to preach Jesus Christ. Whether Brent Key, the coach at football coach at Georgia Tech, is all about Georgia Tech, let's be all about Jesus. Let's make much of Jesus Christ. In the midst of all the troubles, and there's if you say, preacher, I'm not in any trouble right now, just wait a little bit. It's coming to all of us. And what is our reaction going to be? Speak the truth of God to your heart and determine by the will of God, by the word of God, we're going to preach Jesus. We're going to preach Jesus Christ. We're going to live it and we're going to tell it that the gospel is the good news. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I pray today if there's one here without Jesus Christ, that, Lord, they would come to know the Savior. We'd be glad to talk to them after the service and let them know how from the Bible, how they could be saved and know it. And God, I pray that today you'd help us to realize by life and by lip that, Lord, that Christ needs to be preached. He needs to be the very center of our individual lives, of our family, and continue to be the center of this church. And Father, I pray that today, just as the Apostle Paul as he reacted in the midst of a difficult time in prison. Lord, you'd help us to show Christ's likeness in our biblical response to being appointed, being set in the will of God to whatever you bring along our path as well. And we'll be quick to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.